Hey everyone, I am excited to announce that Esther, Something Hidden, Something Revealed, is now available on Amazon as a side study, Volume H, in the Gospel Feast series. The book of Esther is a mysterious one. As written, it is a book with many contradictions. The name Esther means something hidden. It does contain several historical conundrums and a handful of mysteries. It is the only book in the Bible that never mentions God at all. Why? Many Jews today say that it is just fiction, because they can't find any of the characters mentioned within, historically. And yet, they celebrate the book with a major festival, annually. It is also one of the books that is required reading in the weeks before Passover, every year. Not by God, but by Esther herself. Why do this if you insist the book is just fiction? It is one of the only books that Joseph Smith made no corrections to, although he considered it to be historical. How is any of this possible? Esther reads as an eyewitness account, but then struggles with the simple, logical issues and frequently contradicts itself in some very strange ways. How come? Considering that Esther became the most powerful queen of the world's largest empire, none of this makes any sense. Or does it? Despite the wonderful story, we are left with the puzzling questions. Who was King Ahasuerus? Who was Mordecai? Who was Haman? And actually, who was Esther? The answers may just surprise you. The book is not fiction. And in fact, all of the puzzling contradictions were put in place for a very devious reason, and not by Esther. Join us on this astounding historical reconstruction and be amazed at what Esther really tried to do, and how, had she been able to accomplish what she had tried, your life would be very different right now. You think you know the book of Esther? Are you sure? Let's feast on the Word of God together and see what a woman of God can do when she really puts her mind to it. It also might make an incredible Mother's Day gift for the ladies in your life. Happy Mother's Day. This is the Gospel Feast series for those who want a little meat after the milk. It's time to feast on the Word. In our last episode, author and historian Reed Simonson spoke with us about Eastern versus Western thinking and why students of ancient knowledge have an advantage in the keys of knowledge that were given by Joseph Smith. In this episode, we'd like to continue with the book of Daniel, a book that I've been told Isaac Newton said that all Christianity rises or falls with. Uh, Reed, let's get into the book of Daniel. Tell us about the man, Daniel the man. Daniel was a really fascinating person, and he had a tough life. So often, when we read about these prophets in the scriptures, there's a part of us that think, oh, my life's kind of boring, and oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to have some of the adventures of some of these oh, the prophets? Oh, the exciting visions and the, the places they get to go and all the many people they get to interact with. But oh, there's wow. an unpleasant side. Oh, terrible. Some of the things that they go through and that they were put through and yet still held on, you kind of are grateful that you get to go home and live in the beautiful valley that you do and get to have your Big Mac, you know, and you're, you're frosty at Wendy's <laughs> and you of. don't have to deal with some of this 
stuff. Kind of take our unprophetic lives for granted a little bit, you're saying. I'll tell you, I really, I'm really grateful I didn't have to go through what Daniel went through. But it's worth knowing some of this because you start to appreciate the book and, and him and what he did more. And then you hope that if your life gets to be a little tough and hopefully nowhere near what Daniel went through, you can hang on too. He hung on and he had a tough time. Basically, Daniel was a prince. He was part of the royal family. He was not the heir to the throne, and he was not Zedekiah's son, but he could have very well been his nephew. He could have been a cousin. He was a young prince of the family. Uh, We know that he was born in Upper Beth Horon, which means house of the cavern in Hebrew. Exactly what this cavern was, I'm not so sure, although we do hear about cavern and a particular cavern we're going to talk about in a minute being a place where the treasures of the temple and the royal house were stored. Ah. So this could have been that cavern, but it might not have been. Anyway, Daniel in Hebrew means God judges, or more specifically, you could say that the translation might be more accurate, God is the defender of my rights. Oh, and that's more than judges. It is. That's that's an active motion of if something is right or wrong. Okay. See, I'm trying to think Eastern thinking. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I can see that you're doing it. You're starting the process. It's a pearl of great price, in my opinion. It will lead you to some wonderful things. We do know that Daniel was a royal family name. King David and Abigail, his wife, had a child named Daniel. And so, again, it's just more proof that this is a royal family name. He's part of the royal house. Uh, Daniel was captured by Nebuchadnezzar II, who was the king of Babylon, and we think approximately 605. And I like to say BCE when I'm around some people, Ah. because I like to say then that it means before the Christian era, just to annoy them. So if you hear me say 605 BCE, I mean before the Christian era, but really 605 BC. And there were some other noble youths from the house of David that were taken with him. Their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We know them by their Chaldean names. Shadrach, Meshach, and ah, Abednego. yes, okay. The three famous friends, so to speak, of Daniel. Absolutely. And of course, Daniel was renamed Belshazzar, as most people know. These are all names that celebrate the gods of Babylon. When it was part of the captivity of Israel, is that they literally had everything taken from them, including their own names. Correct, correct. Nebuchadnezzar had the belief that in order to rule the world, he needed to take away people's culture. And one of the ways he was going to do this was to take the brightest young men particularly that he could train in the ways of Babylon out of a culture and sort of re-educate them in Babylonian thinking and make them Babylonian. And then in the hopes that they would pass on his culture to their own people. Well, in a yes. Sense, conquer them. Yes, yes, that's that's right. From within. He really saw himself as being the god of the world, which is why later um, Lucifer and others use Babylon and Chaldea as a model for their kingdoms. Because of how effective it was. Yes, that, that's correct. And for the power Nebuchadnezzar really had. If the rumors are correct about his power, it is astounding. There may have been no king, possibly including Nimrod, that could speak and be obeyed like he was. We'll talk about him if we get the chance to at another time. But if the legends are even half true, they're frightening. Well, you know, if that's what Daniel was up against, a a man of that type of authority, surely 
he had to have some tools or gifts from heaven to deal with that. Well, he did. And and there's a darker part to Nebuchadnezzar that doesn't really get shared in the primary books or the Sunday school lectures. And I can't say that I blame it. But since we're gospel feasting, if you dig a little into the records of Babylon, which are coming out, we actually have things now that aren't necessarily just from the Bible or the Dead Sea Scrolls. We're getting more and more. We have what we believe to be Nebuchadnezzar's autobiography now. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it is astounding. In it, it suggests that he was a pedophile. Oh. It also suggests that he was collecting particularly young boys for his harem of, of children. That's awful. It's awful. It really is. And we would quickly throw that away, but the Bible actually hints at it in some also kind of disturbing ways. So let's take a moment and talk about it. Absolutely. I think it certainly helps us understand what Daniel really was up against and why he needed God's help and why Nebuchadnezzar later grew to fear him some because he did get God's help. And I think it saved him in ways that are more than maybe we realize at first. For example, the Bible does teach that Nebuchadnezzar put Daniel and these three other men under the chief of the eunuchs. Oh. I know it. It says it in there. And we kind of read it over like it's a title. But we don't really stop and think about it. Now, why that is interesting and again disturbing. Isaiah actually recorded a very strange prophecy in regards to the royal house. Hezekiah, who was a good king, was trying to lead the kingdom of Judah into being more obedient to the Lord despite their slipping back and forth for a time. Hezekiah received several Babylonian ambassadors to Jerusalem. Okay. As a neighboring kingdom, that would make sense. he, He did, and he was very kind to them, and he gave them a tour. Okay. And that wasn't the problem, except they were very interested in the wealth of the area. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Hezekiah angered the Lord by actually showing them the wealth of the kingdom and the temple treasures. And so they saw that the accumulated wealth that Solomon had. Well, certainly some of it, yes. Certainly some of it. And And that was, um, I imagine, too, you know, they took that information straight back to... Well, they did. Uh, They did. And um, and they had the reports of the temple, which was a wonder. Um, we could talk about that, but we don't really have time. Solomon's temple was a wonder. It was a wonder. The pictures and drawings and little descriptions we get of it that kind of make it look like a dirty brown sort of shack mm. are really inaccurate. The traditions, if true, are mind-boggling. So for the time, th- th- there would have been few structures similar or even could, have, could compare. It would have been the wonder of the ancient world if it stood. We talk about the wonders of the world. This would have been the number one. The pyramids would have been number five. Mm. I mean, this would have been the wonder of the world if the legends and the fables and what's come down, not just from the Jews, but other sources are true. Nebuchadnezzar wanted it. I... Everybody actually wanted it. Well, we're not 100% sure on some of the facts here, but apparently some of the treasures were kept in a cavern, in a cave. Okay, it would make sense that if the royal house was threatened, they might hide the important treasures or artifacts of the kingdom. And those would have belonged to the royal family as part of their estate. So the fact that Daniel was born in this area, he might have been born at the royal caverns or near the treasury. We don't quite know, but that is why I bring that up again. It, it, It may be connected. 
It may be connected. So when Hezekiah got done doing this, the ambassadors from Babylon had a wonderful time. And they were really excited to get back home. Did you and, go home and report oh, what they had found? Absolutely, the wealth that was here. They couldn't wait to tell, you know, the Babylonians. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah, who was the prophet at this time, and the great bard and the, the wonderful poetic writer that we love. And it's recorded, it, it, it's been saved for us in the scriptures, what the Lord said, Isaiah, I want you to take this to Hezekiah. Because the Lord was really upset when he found out that Hezekiah had shown his treasures. It's one thing to show your treasures. Yes, but then to turn around and say, this is my friend, neighbor, or God's wealth, please look at it and catalog it and and possibly tell others about it. Yeah, the Lord's very protective of his things because he wants us to keep them holy and he wants us to understand that he is an almighty king. Well, and he is also all-knowing and all-seeing, and so he knew exactly what would he happen. He did. He did. He did. He did. And it's again, it's one thing to let somebody borrow my car, ah. but you really shouldn't <laughs> let the Lord's car be borrowed without asking him. And Hezekiah didn't ask the Lord's permission to show his stuff. He was being a good neighbor, but not a good steward. I would say that's exactly right. So Isaiah comes to him, and this is what he says. He says, behold... Oh, and this is in Isaiah 39, 6 and 7, if you God want to look will follow it along. Sure, sure. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and all that thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. Oh, wow. Now, here's the part everybody misses. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, the princes, which thou shalt beget, so this yes, is so the, very specifically your family. Your family shall they take away the Babylonians and they shall be eunuchs oh. in the palace of the king of Babylon. Okay. Yikes. That's very specific. Yikes. So when we get to Daniel and we see that Daniel is put under the control of the, of chief, the chief eunuch. Of the eunuchs who was a eunuch. And so it's almost as if in Babylon that is a an order, a, a group or a sect of eunuchs not yes. led by a eunuch but they all are that's correct eunuchs that's correct and so when you add some of the other things that have come from other records including some of the traditions and a few things the rabbis kind of said under their breath what we think happened is that daniel and these four boys were castrated then they were going to be fed special food which the story also tells to sort of fatten them up and turn them into these in a sense boy toys for the king Oh, that's terrible. It's terrible. And they would have been kept in the boy harem of um, Nebuchadnezzar. So now you see part of Daniel's alarm. It's one thing to defile yourself with the king's food. It's another thing to be defiled by the king. And, and, And even more so, to be of a royal line with a responsibility to lead and govern your people and your rights to progeny taken away from you. Exactly. Thank you. That is exactly what I was trying to say. It really does end the royal line as Nebuchadnezzar understood it. Now, of course, the Lord had other ways of extending the line through other bloodlines, and he knew what he was doing. But Nebuchadnezzar thought he'd got him. He thought he'd, he'd not just conquered the hearts and minds, but literally the lineage yes. of Israel. Yes. Now, it's a slight sidestep, which actually would come in another feast if we get to talk about it. But most people miss is that the royal houses and the elder sons of Shem still existed. And they really had a hard time when all of a sudden Abraham and his family rises up and becomes more important than the elder families of Shem. And so Nebuchadnezzar was part of these lines. 
he could trace his bloodlines back to the elder families. Abraham was not part of this. And so it bothered them that Shem, who was Melchizedek, actually picked Abraham over them. And this was part of their fight. I'm sensing a Laman Lemuel Nephi moment here. You bet. So part of what Nebuchadnezzar is doing, in a sense, is getting rid of these lesser sons that shouldn't be in charge according to the Ninevites, the Assyrians, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. These were the elder families of Shem. So that's part of what's going on. So Daniel, in an attempt to keep himself pure, and he was a good Jewish boy, realized that the first thing he needed to do was not break the kosher laws. And that's not completely accurate. The kosher laws are kind of a mess, but certainly to say he didn't want to eat the king's Unclean. Yeah, yeah, and drink the king's wine. It was true that Babylonians loved Egyptian pork. But uh, anyway, Daniel proposes to the head eunuch that he would like to eat simpler food. They call it pulse in the scriptures. And it was it's probably not unlike if you go to these health food stores and there's a health food that you can buy now called D's cereal. Yes. You've seen that? Yes. It was probably wasn't unlike that. A bunch of really healthy simple grains uh, in a sense almost like an unleavened bread. Well, I would say a little more like um, maybe cream of wheat, but uh, maybe an organic kind of a thing where there were some nuts in it and some raw this and some raw that. But it was probably cooked and, you know, kind of, yeah. So that's what Daniel asked. And the the head eunuch was nervous about this. Because he was under orders from the God King. You bet, to prepare the, the boys for him. For the harem, so and then it also explains. Uh, Daniel makes the the offer. Can we do it? Can we try it for ten days? And if it doesn't work, then you know, then you know, we're your captives. And so the head eunuch does allow it. Again, what's disturbing is he notices that these four boys are more beautiful than the other ones that have been brought in. So you see how the Bible's kind of hinting at what's going on. So the good news is, is that the Lord sends Nebuchadnezzar a dream. Yes. And it's deeply disturbing. Now, the Hebrew reads that Nebuchadnezzar actually did not forget the dream. The King James and our version of the Bible makes it sound like he Sounds like he needed help remembering. Either way, the point is, is that Nebuchadnezzar either has a dream in his head and he wants to, it really bothered him. And so it's a, it's a trial, in a sense, that you he's bet. set up. I know a secret. If you can't tell me, you're dead. Yes, that's right. And he was nervous about this because he knew full well the way the game worked. You would be disturbed. And you would say, I need all the wise men to come. I'm disturbed. And they say, what disturbeth thee, king? You know. And, and then they say, play the con man game where they slowly milk him for information and then reveal back to him what he just told them. You bet, you bet, and find some way to explain it in a way he'll be happy. And he's happy and gives him some money. You know, He knew the game. Got it. He knew yep. the game. So he couldn't have it on this one. This was a disturbing... It was too important. Yeah, it was. So he puts out this proclamation that he wants to know what this means. And he can't remember it, which may or may not be true. And he wants his wise men to not only restore the dream to him, but to also tell him what it means. And anyone that can't do it is dead, just like you said. So Daniel, being alarmed by this, begs the king and the, and the people to let him have a chance. And he's so humble about it when you read it. He doesn't say, I can do this. He says, my God can. Oh. And if you'll give me a chance to reach him or, or to talk to him or to try and reach him, he might answer us. Oh, my gosh, you know. 
So anyway, Daniel does do this. Mm-hmm. And he not only gets the dream, but he gets the interpretation. And I think we should save that specific for another feast. Absolutely. I, I will make notes and we can we can attend to that. We still want to talk a little bit about the man. Yes, and there's a little more to this that's so useful. The Babylonians also believed that eunuchs had a magic about them. They were kind of what you might argue, we're pushing again today in our society, the Luciferian idea of the Baphomet. Somehow you can be a third gender, or you can embrace all gender. The Babylonians believed this, too. They had it in their culture. Satan's stuff never really changes. It's Mr. He, Babylon. He hasn't had that, a new idea for a while. No, not he really. New not ways really. of implementing it. He's kind of, yeah, and, and since our lives are kind of short, you know, we don't really... Huh. He has new people to con every 20 years or so. He does, and it kind of works, so he keeps at it. Um, so they believed that they had magical properties, And it's actually interesting because this is where we get the term magi from. Ah. And the term magic and the term magistrate all come from this Babylonian root in Babylon. That's fascinating. The magi. And actually, what we'll discover at some other time is that Daniel became the head of the magi. We know this. Yes. As the head of the magi, he later would be, centuries later, the one that sent his magis who had studied in his school to the Lord in Bethlehem. It comes from Daniel. Daniel was the one. That's part of what Isaac Newton was trying to say too, because Daniel knew when the Lord would show up and wrote it in the book of Daniel. Daniel knew. And instructed. Yes. Yes. He became an extremely important magi. In fact, he ends up becoming the most important magi in all of Babylon. Now, um, You'll note if you study any paintings of Daniel, or even even the old ones from the catacombs and stuff, he's always portrayed as beardless. Okay. And the rabbis whispered, even in the books that would later come through in the ancient writings, that Daniel should have married, but never did. We know Daniel never married. Okay. And again, we believe this is because there was no point. And it was it's further proof to the, the understanding that he might have been one of the king's eunuchs. Yes, Yes, they, we get it from several sources. The rabbis hint at it dangerously because they're, they're a little scared. But they're also of, trying to be they're kind scared of to his memory. I think it's that, and, and they're a little scared of him. Got it. The rabbis actually forbid, and this actually goes back to Maimonides. the rabbis forbid any scholarly or good Jewish student from studying Daniel in order to figure out the timeline of the Messiah. Oh, that is fascinating. Uh, is it because they've realized the the timeline pointed to someone they should have already known? Absolutely. Uh, so forbidding knowledge, we've, we've been through this before, right? Uh, you, you forbid a knowledge because you know it's true. Or the, the seeking of knowledge. There are ancient rabbis, and we can talk about them. Ones that, that I admire, I love the rabbis' writings. I admire them. There are those that in the ancient books will say there's no point in calculating the times of the Messiah or the times that Daniel said because they are past. We can talk about all of that, too, as we get deeper into Daniel, because it's in there. Fascinating. And uh, so, you know, I think, we're, I think we're running out of time, but that is wonderful. You've given me, Reed, you've given me wonderful insight into Daniel the man. And so we, we talked a little bit in our previous episode about why uh, the book of Daniel is important and uh, some modern, modern-ish context from uh, the genius Sir Isaac Newton. Now you've given us a little bit more of an understanding of Daniel's personal, I guess, tribulations and uh, where he was coming from 
when he was getting important visions and doing writings for the Lord. So, you know, we're going to wrap up here. So let's let's just give a little teaser for what we'll talk about uh, uh, next time. We want to continue. I would love it if you would continue with the book of Daniel. What are some of the things you might uh, want to discuss with us next time? Well, it would be fun to talk about Nebuchadnezzar. Ah, He's not really understood as well as he could be. And he was an astounding man. He may have been the most powerful king to have ever reigned in terms of power. And, I mean, you know, the, the world has seen some, some dictators and tyrants that have, well, frankly, covered two-thirds of the globe in their empire. So saying Nebuchadnezzar is even more astounding than, say, you know, the, the exploits of Napoleon. Or well, even Genghis Khan conquered <laughs> most of the world at one point. Um, that Nebuchadnezzar's power exceeded even theirs. Well, the ancients say, and it may be tradition, it may not be true, but they insist, Nebuchadnezzar had a pride of lions. Okay, and like they, his pets or zoo? They pulled one of his chariots. Wait, he... That's you know, what they say. We will go into that next time. I, I, I want too much to hear more of this, but we are out of time now. Thank you, Reed, for coming. To everybody that has uh, been listening, this is the Gospel Feast series. The feast of the Lord Jesus Christ, his gospel is free to all. It is universal. We welcome everyone to come feast with us. Uh, the, our author here, Reed Simonson, has wrote, written a series of books he calls the Gospel Feast Series. It can be found on Amazon. It is uh, on Kindle. Search for Gospel Feast Series or author Reed Simonson. Those that have Kindle Unlimited, the books are free. Please load them into your device and read along with us and Practice your Eastern thinking. This is key to understanding the Old Testament and the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. With that, we'd like to say our podcasts are not reviewed or involved or associated with any denomination. This is us on our own enjoying the gospel feast. Thank you, and we will feast next time together. Mm